goodest day. Oh, I want to be a writer when I'm older, and goodest is not the right word. Welcome to the Super Bayern Podcast. Bayern Munich edge past bottom of the Bundesliga table Paderborn on Friday, thanks to a heroic performance from the one and only Serge Gnabry. Perhaps the dynamic forward is preparing for another trip back to London in hopes of giving another four-goal display in the British capital. Hansi Flick, meanwhile, has to decide whether or not he wants to stick with his three-at-the-back experiment against Chelsea or revert to his more traditional four-man defensive line. I'm Benjamin Scott, and I'm here to discuss that with my friends Tim Richards... Hello there. And Sebastian Zimmerman. Hi. So like I said, on Friday, Bayern did beat Paderborn 3-2. to uh, It was a lot closer game than it honestly should have been. Um, but there was a very interesting kind of twist to the game in that we finally got to see Bayern Munich line up in a uh, three at the backs. A three at the back, something that we've been um, hoping to see for a while now. We've talked about on this podcast. And uh, Sebastian, we saw that on Friday with a, a, a back line that consisted of Lucas Hernandez, David Alaba, and of course Joshua Kimmich playing on the right with Alvaro Odriozola and, and uh, Alfonso Davies taking up the wing-back kind of slots. Um, how do you think that, that worked out against Paderborn, especially seeing that the uh, game didn't exactly go how we thought, um, or I guess we hoped it would have? I'm not quite sure if everyone would agree there, but I, but I think uh, as long as we actually played three at the back with uh, two wing-backs, the defense was quite fine, I would say. I think it, it worked quite well, considering this is a completely new system. Also, considering we were playing uh, with three centre-backs who are on the smaller side, um, and with two centre-backs who are not really centre-backs, uh, in David Alaba and especially uh, Joshua Kimmich. So I, that, that was what surprised me the most, I suppose. I never expected Kimmich to be part of those three at the back when uh, whenever we are, we were going to see this so that was very surprising to me but but I think especially Kimmich looked looked quite all right in that position um but yeah I think uh, many many people would say that uh, the team wasn't so great defensively in this game but I think that really only started when uh, there were some changes and we didn't have two proper uh, wingbacks anymore, then, yeah, I think some things uh, went a bit out of control on defense, which was not immediately obvious because the offense was so much better then. And, yeah, uh, when we then even uh, put Cirque in and we had an even more offensive lineup, yeah, things got yeah more complicated and our defense, yeah, was kind of... Yeah, overwhelmed. They didn't really, uh, weren't really any, able anymore to, yeah, keep this thing under control. So I would say, as long as we were really playing three at the back, that was uh, that went surprising, surprisingly well. I would say, and I have to say, I, I didn't see the, this uh, lineup coming at all. Well, I, I saw the names on this lineup, um, and they weren't at all surprising. But I never, uh, uh, ne- never thought that this would end up being a three at the back. So yeah, I, I would I would be curious to see more of this, but yeah, maybe then with two actual wing backs for ninety minutes, or well maybe 
yeah, I think that the real issue here is that we need to find a way to have the offense uh, work as well as as it does sometimes, but still, uh, yeah, be secure enough on defense because three at the back and then Coman and Xerxe and all that. Yeah, that that's just yeah, that's just out of balance. I feel. Yeah, you brought up um, Joshua Kimmich, and I think you know having him and his versatility, uh, of course, lends to us being able to play so many different systems because he did play center back some under Pep Guardiola. He played right back for so long. Now he's back in midfield. So he can kind of do, or he can kind of play in all these different positions and it allows us to do um, a whole lot. If you look at the average positions of the Bayern players, like on Sofa score, uh, David Alaba and Lucas Hernandez were actually the only two players who had an average position in Bayern's own half. Uh, whereas all the Paderborn players averaged their, had an average position of being in their own half. So, even though it was, I guess, on paper, a slightly more defensive lineup from Bayern, it ended up being a much more offensive game where we really pinned them into their own half. And um, they had four total shots on target, and two of those went in. Um, obviously, we don't have to talk too much about Manuel Neuer, who made a, you know an absolutely crucial mistake to, to allow one of the goals, and then um, just overall really wasn't his best game. So... It does kind of seem like maybe it wasn't the best defensive display, but I think I'd agree with you. Um, whenever we were playing with the three at the back and had two, you know, actual wing backs, not just this full-out offensive attack, I think it was actually pretty good. I think it's something that um, I guess I would hope to see more of in the future. Uh, but Tim, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. Um, it kind of seems to me that with the current squad we have, uh, this system would, would really uh, play to our strengths. Uh, would you agree with that? Do you think maybe this is something that you'd like to see more of going forward? Uh, yeah, this is something I've wanted to see for quite a while. When Well, this goes back to Niko Kovac's arrival. When it was announced that he was going to be at Bayern uh, as the new Bayern manager, I was very excited because I, 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 think, I think it's kind of tradition that Bayern play with a four-man defence because that's what... We achieved our greatest season with a four-man backline, two-man pivot, etc. But that was so long ago, and that was kind of why I was so excited about Niko Kovac, because I kind of half assumed that he would come in and say, OK, this is going to be the way that we defend. We're going to defend uh, as a five, we're going to attack uh, as a three. Um, so, but I'm, I'm happy to see it. I'm, I'm just disappointed that it's taken this long to happen, and the fact that it's happened... I guess by virtue of the fact that there have been so many injuries, like this probably wasn't a decision that was made several months ago where he thought, okay, yeah, I can see that we have the capability to do this. I don't think it's going to be the a case where Hansi Flick saw what he could do with this and, th- and thought, okay, let's build on it in the same way that somebody like Antonio Conte had a four-man backline when he was at Chelsea and then thought, no, I can do something better. Uh, like, I can do something better with this. I think it was just kind of born out of necessity. Um, but saying that, it had... I think this is kind of a, a, a good game where you can kind of almost experiment and, like, if things went wrong, it would be kind. Of, it would be acceptable to say, well, yeah, but, you know, we're trying something different. Uh, it's it's like a welcome change. I think any any form of experimenting uh, is is something great to look forward to um, because you know it really does. It's just another facet of the 
rejuvenation of the squad. It's like, okay, we're going to be getting in all of these new players and we're going to be doing new things as well. That was probably one of my favourite things about Pep Guardiola is the fact that every team that he put out was different. Um, it just keeps it exciting. But at the same time, having that consistency is what led to like that European dominance that Bayern had for, for a couple of years. So, you know, there's, there's positives and negatives. Yeah. Uh, one thing Bayern have struggled with uh, recently is not having kind of a true defensive midfielder. Um, of course, before moving Joshua Kimmich back into the midfield. Uh, Sebastian, with, with guys like Corantan Tolisso and Thiago, who both played yesterday, um, and then also, you know, Leon Goretzka, do you think this is a system that could really bring out the best uh, in them? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel that when you have three at the back and two capable wing backs, you can get away with Thiago as your most defensive midfielder. You can get away with Tolisso or Goretzka as your most defensive midfielder. So I definitely think that's 100% on point here. And yeah, so this means that this is definitely a thing that, that could be helpful. Of course, depending on who of these players we keep and who might uh, leave in summer, I think we all are reasonably sure that it, uh, that not all of those number eight kind of guys are going to stay. Yeah, I think I think it's definitely a good option, but on the other hand, it's kind of yeah, it kind of doesn't doesn't change much at, at least as long as long as Kimmich uh, is play, playing as a center back. So it's really just uh, you have the same kind of players on the field. It's just the the question if Kimmich is on the six or uh, at the right side as a center back. So yeah, it doesn't really change much there because. Um, you could play those same guys in midfield in front of Joshua Kimmich. That that would work just as well. But of course, uh, it, it could it could be a good a good idea to have have Kimmich in a three at the back kind of setup, but in midfield and then uh, like Pavard on the right side. Uh, I think he's he's the ideal guy for that position for the for the uh, right uh, center back, if you will, next next to a taller guy like Zula. Ideally, I, I would I would say. Mm. So then I think things start to get really interesting because then you can have three at the back, but Kimmich in front of that and also Thiago not not in front of him, not behind him, but next to him. And I think that that would probably work out pretty well. I guess uh, I also want to mention here, since we are talking about those guys, I think Quentin Tulisso looked really good th- in this game. Mm, I think uh, after Serge Gnabry, I think he's one of the guys I would mention here who positively surprised me. I, th- I think it was defensively probably his best ge- his best game of the season, I guess. And he was also more involved on offense. I, re- I really like what I saw there. Yeah, I would definitely second that. I think uh, Tolisso was, like you said, um, maybe not the second best if, if you want to include Robert Lewandowski for scoring two goals, but he was one of the best players on the pitch for me, absolutely. And he assisted Serge Gnabry's goal. Um, it was really great to see. You brought up Benjamin Favard. That's a player that I was going to mention because, uh, Tim, I know you've been kind of critical of him at right back. So do you think playing and, and you know, none of us have really been totally impressed with him uh, as a center back in a, in a four-man back line. So do you think that having this three-man back line would really um, maybe bring out the best in him uh, and, and even our other central defenders like Hernandez uh, and even David Alaba? Uh, yeah, quite possibly. I think there's everything to suggest that you know Pavard is doing fine as a right back um, because he isn't like he's he's not a right back. It's kind of 
I think we're very much spoiled by having somebody like Alfonso Davies play as a left back and just take to it instantly. Um, that I, I've been in the stadium and seen Pavard get caught out in position um, or out of position uh, like a number of times. And, you know, if you're a centre-back and you're told, OK, like charge forward, it, it works for like Sheffield United because they have their whole system is relied on their centre-backs getting forward. But at Bayern, that's not really the case. So if you have a centre-back that's being told to go forward, that's an unnatural position for be, for him to be in. And obviously, he's, you know, it's not going to be excellent. Um, I'd be, I, I can't really remember that far back uh, when Pavard was playing as a, as a centre-back. I seem to remember that he was doing completely fine, though. Um, but yeah, I think, I think as it's been suggested, like having him in that three-man back line would be probably be where he fits best um because he is quite agile he's he's a strong guy uh he can make a tackle and out of all of those defenders in the back line none of them are really center back well i suppose like lucas hernandez is um is a center back um having somebody that is just like a pure defensive minded player would probably bring an element of stability to that line um, so if if it is something that continues and Bayern do carry on with a three man back line, then yeah, he would. I, I'll happily see what he can do there, and I'd probably go into it with more confidence. Yeah, and another player that you briefly mentioned that I think uh, would really shine in this system is Alfonso Davies, who has really taken to the to the left back role um, superbly and just kind of made it his own. But I think even you know having a little bit more freedom to roam further up the pitch just really brings out the best in him. And I, um, we've talked about it before. He, he's almost like he's made for that position. It's kind of ideal for him. So I guess, uh, yeah, overall speaking, even though it didn't on paper look, you know, work extremely well against Paderborn, I do think it's something that I'd like to see more of, um, especially if it's something that Hansi Flick, you know, wants to see this team line up. And I think that that that'd really be great to kind of um, – alter you know the way we approach some games while still kind of keeping that that Bayern identity uh, that Bayern attacking mentality uh, Sebastian Alvaro Odriozola made his first start for Bayern in this game uh, what did you make of him do you think it was a a pretty good debut on his uh, behalf yeah I would agree um, I was initially a bit surprised how how offensively he was used in this game uh, I didn't didn't see him as a as a wing back so much. I mean, obviously that always was an option, but I imagined him having his start as the normal kind of right back, obviously. And in comparison uh, to Alfonso Davies, I was kind of expecting him to be the more defensive of the two wing backs, but actually that wasn't the case. Uh, uh, he played more offensively than Davies did, which came as kind of a surprise. And I remember. Uh, thinking like 20 or 30 minutes into the game that uh, Odriozola was yeah w- one of the most impressive players there he was he le- yeah he he really uh, uh, was everywhere he he was uh he was doing a lot of stuff he was i mean it was maybe a bit conservative uh he was running down the sideline uh putting in crosses those crosses weren't bad but he was not as, uh, yeah, not as flexible as Davies. Davies can do a lot of stuff. He can he can dribble inside very well. Uh, he, his passing with the other players is, uh, was better than Audrey Zola's, I would say. But I guess that's to be expected, of course. Dave, Davies, 
even if he had had played a normal left back and not a left wing back before, he knows the other players uh, better than Odriozola does. Uh, he has just uh, more, many, many more games under his belt uh, for Bayern. So that's really, really not so surprising. I would definitely say that Odriozola was among the better players uh, for Bayern uh, in this game. And I was even, I guess, a bit surprised that that uh, he was he was taken off relatively early. I don't know that that could have a number of reasons, but I, I don't think it was performance because there was really not, nothing to criticize from from my side. Uh, I think it's important that that we uh, that we remember that Odriozola really wasn't the problem, despite uh, the, this, these first two substitutions changing a lot about the game and being very very positive for our offense. That's yeah, really not, not doesn't mean that Odriozola was in any way the problem here. I think he played really well, um, better I guess uh, than I would have expected at least in this position. Yeah, I, I've seen some people on Twitter uh, kind of saying the opposite that they were disappointed, but um, I would definitely agree with you. I think that he, if he wasn't you know spectacular by any means, he was solid for sure, and he did his job. Um, he's definitely you can tell a very attack-minded player. He likes to get forward. Um, he was actually Barnes' fourth most advanced player if you if you're just looking at starters. So he was even playing higher up the pitch than Alfonso Davies. And uh, I mean, he he played three key passes. He was actively involved in play. It's not like he was just over there kind of floating. So I would would agree. Great debut from him, and uh, it looks like he may you know become a more and more important player in this team, which would which would be great to have an attacking option out on the right. Whereas you know Pavard is a little bit more. Um, defensive in his play uh, and Tim you had brought up in the chat a stat that I think is really important to remember when you're looking at Audrey Zola. he's played seven games I think you said since August and only two of those have been for 90 minutes so I mean with that in mind yeah you can hardly ask ask for more uh, from a player making his his debut at a new club so um, I think we have a lot to look forward to with him and I think you know having him and Davies on opposite flanks that's just a ridiculous amount of speed and a ridiculous amount of creativity from a defender. So uh, something to be excited about, I would definitely, definitely say. Before we move on to the Chelsea game, uh, there's a few, I guess, items that came up in the news this week concerning Bayern that we ought to talk about. Um, and the first one is about Paris Saint-Germain coach Thomas Tuchel. He's been uh, linked again with the Bayern job because, you know, as usual with the PSG coach, your job's never really secure so much. And uh, after they might be knocked out by Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League, he could be looking for a new job. Uh, and again, he's German. He's being linked with Bayern. Um, we've talked about him in the past. Tim, you know, how uh, how do you react to the news of him being linked with the Bayern job? Badly. Badly. Um. I don't really like him. Uh, I think what he's doing at PSG is like grossly inflated by the fact that he's got probably, yeah, like two of the best players in the world, um, like putting in the goals and has had so much money like given to the club in terms of investments. And the fact that he plays like the most bang average four four two I've I've seen in like quite some time, I think there's a huge difference between him winning the league playing quite a bland four four two and Leicester winning the league playing the same style of football. Well, it's not the same style of football, but like the same sort of approach. 
is that Leicester don't have billions. Like, if they need to play, like, really simplistic football, great. They can do that. And if it works for them, fantastic. I I really... I've kind of got this this theory. It's not really a theory. It's more just a, a gripe that I have in football, which is that any manager that has ever played three at the back is somehow being given the title of genius, like just tactical mastermind. Like the, I saw like so many discussions about it with Nico Kovac. I'm going to try and get Nico Kovac involved in as many of my comments today as I possibly well, can be. Twice already, like, so you're on a good track. Yeah, like yeah, more than more than normal. Um, but having seen like all of these comments just saying because I think even Kovac said at one point like oh when I was at Frankfurt I was kind of thought of as like this tactical mastermind because I had like various approaches I don't know what he meant by that but he would always have a different approach to each game it doesn't really mean anything if like if you were winning every single game, kind of like what Guardiola did, he would put out a different team and that team would dominate. And then he'd change something else. He'd say, okay, this team doesn't work with Thomas Muller in. He'd take him out. That team would dominate. Didn't really work against Atletico, but that's fine. It's in the past and we're not bitter. Something about Thomas Tuchel really kind of does... It just gives the impression that he is nowhere near as good as his stats are going to suggest. Much in the same way that Unai Emery stats, I think he's a fine manager. But if you if you go to PSG and you essentially he needs to win the Champions League for it to matter, because the the Bundesliga kind of gets a bit of a bad rap for being a one horse race. The past few seasons have shown that that's really not the case anymore. It was there was like a clear dominion. Bayern would win in you know, like late November and then just take their foot off the pedal. And ultimately, nobody could really catch up with them. Now you've got teams like Leipzig, like Dortmund, like Leverkusen are doing real, uh, doing really well. Gladbach are doing really well. And it's become more competitive. The French first division is so far away from that ever happening that it's, if you're not winning, if you're not winning every single game by a lot of goals, that's not the sign of a good manager. Like if you, if you can, beat um but if you can only beat that monaco team like three nil or whatever the score was um whenever they've played then like that's that's clearly the sign of a manager that isn't as good as as like the critics would suggest um not to mention various like any history that he has with um like falling out with his staff is it who's the the guy that went to arsenal i think is it Minsla? yeah Um, i think that's the one yeah yeah um this this is a guy that has kind of like bought a career for being like he's i guess he's like the the hipster choice for a footballer ultimately if i was to get any manager in football that is considered like a tactical mastermind he would be so far at the bottom of my list like i don't i don't really like uh, I I don't like the way that his current PSG team are playing uh, are playing at the moment. I think it's really genuinely quite boring and very easy to exploit. I think Dortmund did a great job. Was it Dortmund? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought Dortmund did a very good job with that. Um, he seems like kind of a bad person to just have in the club as a whole. Uh, I think everything that happened after the after the attack on the team bus, where hit with him saying like, "Oh, why aren't you guys ready to play football?" Like, I think those reports are 
unsubstantiated but there are a number of rumors that suggested that he was having a go at his players for not being mentally strong enough or something something to those words uh if he's linked with Bayern I will be very disappointed I mean you know even beyond all that extra off the field type of stuff uh, he lost to Borussia Dortmund in the Champions League having a team with Neymar and Kylian Mbappe whereas Bayern Munich beat that Dortmund team with a very, um, not to say lackluster, but a squad that was missing a lot of its best players, playing Alfonso Davies in like his third game as a left back, beat that same Borussia Dortmund team four to nothing under Hansi Flick. So, uh, Sebastian, I mean, wouldn't you think Hansi Flick should have a leg up over Thomas Tuchel, um, who you know really hasn't even done that much or hasn't really impressed that much in the clubs that he's been at to to, to warrant. I guess the reputation he has. Yeah, I'm totally, totally with you guys on that. Um, w when we are talking, talking about coaching options, I would, I would say Flick is definitely the number one right now. Um, I would still not hate Ten Hag. He's still my number two. And then there's a lot of nothing, and way further down, I would rank Pep even uh, over Tuchel. I think. While I don't don't want either of the two guys, I think they have similar problems. He's kind of, well, for me, is he's kind of the German Guardiola. He's he's, yeah, he 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 has a philosoph philosophy, if you will. I think that's his kind of one one of the things that uh, people think is is positive, is an advantage to him. But yeah, he he's just a problematic kind of person I think in a, in a way that uh, Guardiola is too that that can work for a while but it soon can, can become a problem but he's just not as good as Pep and Pep, Pep is, is a very very good uh, very good manager and Tuchel is just kind of a, a very poor man's Pep Guardiola I would say uh, who speaks German so I guess the, that's an asset there but otherwise yeah I'm not not really happy about this idea Uh, I mean, teams like Manchester United or Tottenham would easily win the first league in France. Would we want their coaches necessarily because they because they would win the league for them? And if they were a French team, no, I don't. I don't think we we would want that necessarily. We were talking about uh, uh, Pochettino, but why were we talking about him? Because he. Uh, did very well in the Champions League. Otherwise, he, w he would not, not really have been a, a huge option. And I think the same should be, should be true for Tuchel here. There's, this is su such a strong team. So many very, very expensive, very strong players. But yeah, it just it doesn't do the job in the Champions League. And that's, yeah, definitely a Tuchel problem. I think the uh, Pep Guardiola comparison is, is very um, fitting in that He's very much so the poor man's Pep Guardiola, except he's not nearly as good tactically on the pitch as Guardiola is. I mean, no one would dispute that that Guardiola is, you know, one of the best minds in in football right now, and he's even more uh, problematic off the pitch. So it's like getting Pep with with worse dangers and then not even having the benefits of him. Uh, and I just I really don't think anyone wants that. I would even go out on a limb and say if he didn't speak German, if he didn't have a German nationality, there's absolutely no way he would be being linked with Bayern Munich. Um, he'd be underneath guys like Max Allegri, even um, someone that you know we obviously still don't want uh, at Bayern Munich. 
But that's not the only bit of um, transfer, I guess. It's not totally transfer news, but kind of transfer news that came out with Byron this week. Uh, Sebastian, I'm going to actually come back to you for this one because twice within the past week, Timo Werner has played a good game, scored important goals, and um, immediately after the game, gone to talk to the media about how much he wants to join Liverpool, who he has uh, mentioned as being the best team in the world. Uh, What do you make of that? You know, because this is a player that six months, a year ago, would have been saying those things about Bayern Munich, uh, who didn't buy him, and now he's saying those things about Liverpool. Uh, Do you think this is kind of a sign, Sebastian, that the the bridge with Werner uh, has been burned as as far as Bayern are concerned? Uh, I would not go so far, I think, but yeah, I, th- I think that definitely means that uh, if Liverpool is serious about signing him, they have a very good chance of doing so. I think uh, in one of those interviews, he has also phrased it in a way that that amounted to him not being quite on that level yet, which I found a bit strange. Um, and some of his uh, detractors kind of applauded this. I, I don't have the, have the exact words here right now, but that was a bit strange. I, I mean, when we are serious about this, you can only in these interviews you answer the questions uh, which you get, and mm-hmm. of of course, so he's going to answer this question in a uh, relatively yeah straightforward kind of manner. And yeah, he he probably likes that club. I mean, who would not? It's it's, <laughs> it's a it's a very it's a it's a uh, it's a great success story at the moment, and it's it's a club who plays the kind of football that he probably enjoys because it's the kind of football uh, he he thrives in. So it's not really all that surprising. But yeah, I think it this definitely means that Bayern needs to be serious about signing Timo Werner if they want him. And sadly, I'm not all that convinced that we are so serious about signing him. I really hope we are. But yeah, how th- this has uh, turned out the last time around... Yeah, I'm, I'm just not not all that optimistic about the whole situation. Yeah, it, it's looking, I guess, worse and worse in terms of, you know, for people who want Werner to join Bayern Munich. Uh, but Tim, do you think if Bayern, I guess, change their minds and decide that, okay, yeah, Timo Werner is someone that um, could fit in at this club, and then Liverpool are, are also pursuing him, uh, and it comes down, you know, to where he has to make the choice between those two clubs, um, something I guess inside of me thinks that Werner would still choose Bayern. I think he still kind of has his heart set on them. Uh, and I don't know what perspective you might have to answer this, but um, what do you think if it comes down between Liverpool and Bayern? Does Bayern still have that, I guess, appeal for a young German guy like Werner uh, that could bring them in over Liverpool, who is, I guess, arguably the best team in the world? Uh, at least they're the reigning European champions. Yeah, it should always be. It should always be attractive. I think if you look at Liverpool, that success that they've got and the acclaim that they're receiving is still it's still relatively new. Like it's only come about in the last three years, maybe. Uh, it was well, it's kind of whenever Brendan Rodgers left that, or whenever Jurgen Klopp arrived. Whereas if you look at, but obviously, I think all of us are going to be biased in this in this discussion. But if you look at Bayern, this is a team that's consistently been amongst the best in Europe for, I guess, like 25 years, maybe, maybe a bit longer. And like we've got better and better and better each season. OK, there have been a couple of blips, but since like the 90s, we've become far more dominant. We've got a clear structure in place of like how the team is uh, or how the club is run uh, as a whole. 
it should be i think it at worst it should be on like a level playing field um i think if there's going to be anything that's going to act as like an attractor for timo Werner is the fact that he grew up with Serge Gnabry and Joshua Kimmich and if they're both at Bayern that might be that might be something I know they both came through the Stuttgart ranks together um and obviously if you're playing for Bayern then your chance of getting picked for the for the national team are um like your chances are going to go through the roof at that point I think it's it's safe to say that Werner is one of the top names on the starting sheet for Germany um but even so like it, just being at Bayern, that kind of gives you extra credit. Well, okay, no, that's if you're young and you're not Thomas Muller and you can run quickly, <laughs> then yes, you should be able to get into the Germany team. Um, but yeah, I think at worst, his decision of whether or not he would go to Bayern or Liverpool, I think it should kind of be like 50 50 at this point. Well, I guess uh, that's one of those things, only time will tell. Um, but even still, it doesn't totally look like Bayern are even considering that move still, which, um, depending on how you look at it, can be a bit of a shame. And I think we would all agree it is kind of a bit of a shame, bit of a shame um, at the moment. Uh, so let's wrap up with talking about the Chelsea game that's coming up on Tuesday. Uh, a very big match for Bayern, not only because it's the first round of the Champions League round of 16, but kind of the historic uh, association between these two clubs with, with Chelsea beating Bayern in Munich in the 2012 Champions League final. Um, there's a whole lot heading into this match. Hansi Flick really needs a big performance from his guys. It could mean a lot for him. Uh, it means a lot for these players. Uh, just in general, even you know after last season's Champions League, um, not necessarily collapsed because we went out to the guys who went on to win it, but it was still less than impressive from Bayern Munich. Uh, so first question, if you're Hansi Flick approaching this game, Sebastian, uh, did did you see enough in this three four two one kind of formation over the weekend to um, stick with that going uh, to London, or do you think he's going to go back to that more traditional four at the back um, four two three one four three three almost even a four two four at times sort of formation? Um, and then who who would you line up in those spots? I think we're probably going uh, going back to the four well four three three or whatever it is. Uh, with four four men at the back and two center backs and uh, two full backs, I think we're probably going back to this. Um, I personally, from what I would do, I have gone gone really back and forth on this, and I'm still not quite sure. Uh, I guess I would like uh, if we we would uh, put up put up a lineup that kind of works both ways. I think that would be a clever move. So um, we have a bit of flexibility there because, uh, yeah, we need we need to consider that it has never been two completely or even more than two completely independent systems, but often it, it has been something that can change on the fly. And I think that can be a problem, but it also can be a huge advantage for us. And I think we should try to turn that into an advantage. The problem is, um, I'm not quite sure if uh, Leon Goretzka is is ready to go. I would love to see him there, but I don't know if, if that's going to work out because, yeah, I don't think we have the info if he if he's going to be able to play on, on Tuesday or not. So we're going to have to wait and see about this. 
that that uh, basically means uh, I think the backline is no, not not quite. I think uh, I would uh, start with uh, Davies on the left, then uh, Alaba and Hernandez. I think maybe Pavard. I don't really care if he takes one of the center back spots, and then uh, I would start Adriozola. I think I've seen enough out of him to start him at, uh, as a right back in this context, and then I would uh, put Kimmich. I think Tolisso and Thiago there, and then Müller on the right, and the, yeah, Gnabry and Lewandowski, obviously. I think that gives us the most options, the most flexibility. I think that's uh, what I would do here, because uh, as I said, with this lineup, you can uh, you can turn it into three at the back if you want, uh, and you can uh, yeah have a flexible kind of system that you, know, you can change on the fly, and I think that's definitely a good idea here. So just to uh, make sure I heard you right, you said you would have a, mm-hmm. a midfield of Joshua Kimmich and then Thiago and Tolisso kind of playing more yeah. as, as eights. Okay, and yeah, if, uh, exactly. if and maybe Goretzka if he's if he's ready to go. Right, that's what I was going to say. Okay, so I think I'd agree with you pretty much on on all accounts, and I think you're right that um, having that system would allow the flexibility if we want to, I guess, pull Kimmich back into the defense and send Aldriozola and Davies going forward. Uh, we could definitely do that. Obviously, Thomas Muller and Serge Gnabry are are going to be drifting centrally um, as well. That's as they you know as they do. Um, and so yeah, I think that's that's definitely what I would like to see. I think it gives Hansi Flick a lot of options. And then um, if if it's not working out so well, we always have Kingsley Coman who can come in off the bench and really add uh, a bit of a spark. So um, that's exactly what I'd like to see. Tim, uh, you think you think uh, that's the best option Hansi Flick has as well? Uh, yeah, definitely. I think it would be maybe potentially ill-advised to continue with the three at, at three at the back in a knockout situation. Obviously, if he wants to experiment with it, I guess the Bundesliga is maybe the better place to experiment with it because it's much longer. Um, I would say go back to how things were uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, like Muller on the right, I think is uh, he was playing really, really well. Um, Kimmich as the as the defensive midfielder and yeah, I think a, a midfield of, of Kimmich, Thiago and Tolisso uh, would be very good. I'd, I'd love to see Thiago play further forward, potentially as a 10, but maybe as like a very attacking number eight. Uh, and yeah, I, of what I saw of Audrey Zola, I think he, it looks like he's got, he's got a lot of energy, which is fantastic. And yeah, I would love to see. I'd love to see more of him. I've been looking at stats, and obviously they don't really say the whole story. But he regularly averages like well into the like mid to high ninety percent in passing accuracy, and that's that's kind of good enough for me. Which is probably why I'm not a professional football coach, <laughs> despite the fact that I was talking nothing but negativity about Thomas Tuchel not being good. But I'm sure he's better than I am. Ah, uh, well. We don't have to uh, have to get into that right now. Uh, one big news for Bayern you know, with Chelsea looming on the horizon is that N'Golo Kante uh, will be absent for the match, and that's absolutely huge news when you look at the midfield um, because, for me, that's an area where the game is really going to be kind of won, uh, won or lost, I guess, depending on whichever team you're on. And I think that, um, especially with Kante out, I think we definitely have the midfield advantage with Kimmich, Thiago, and, and then either Goretzka, Tolisso, Muller, whoever takes up that third uh, central position. Um, is there any other, I guess, 
areas of the pitch where you think, okay, this is where the game's kind of going to be won or this is where the game's going to be lost. Maybe there's a player on either side that you think uh, stands out as someone who's going to decide this match. And uh, we'll come to you first, Sebastian. I think from the experience of the last couple of games, uh, especially how that last game against Paderborn went, you, I mean, it's kind of old news for, for this podcast and uh, it's maybe also not news for uh, a lot of the fans by now. Uh, was, many have seen this uh, and have realized this again, kind of, but Thomas Müller is just the most important player for us right now. Um, and I think we, we definitely saw this uh, when, when he came on against Paderborn. The, the Koman uh, substitution for me was not the, not, not the important thing there. It was, yeah, Thomas Müller kind of turning this offensive around. I mean, the off- offense was kind of working but it was really not on that level and suddenly the off- the offense was yeah on on that great level uh, we we have have been seeing this last couple of weeks so for me uh, that's Thomas Müller being able to do what he does best again and starting this game which i i guess there is no doubt for me he's definitely uh, yeah the the most important player for us on 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 the field at the moment and i think we can can't overstate his importance here yeah absolutely i think you're spot on there uh, Tim, is there anyone that you'd like to add to that? Uh, not from not from Bayern. Uh, I think Thomas Müller will get praise to the heavens. I think any day of the week for me. Uh, yeah, he's he's obviously shown how important he is. I think in terms of of Chelsea's team, them losing Kante isn't as big of a deal as it is considering how well Mateo Kovacic is playing right now. Mm. I think his ability. But Kovacic on his on his goodest day, oh, I want to be a writer when I'm older. And goodest is not the right word. But like when he's just good, like he's not brilliant. He's not like on his best day. But when he's just good, is about as good as Goretzka is when he's like fully like at his at his top. He's been playing fantastically at the moment. He's really good at carrying the ball. He's outstandingly quick, considering he plays plays as an eight um, and like plays in the middle of the pitcher in a position that doesn't really re- require speed. He is very fast. He's kind of a big guy as well. He's very strong. I think that's going to be a very interesting battle between uh, if, if of course he's playing um, like between him and whoever our midfield is. I think it would be so important to have some form of stability on, on by side if he's going to be playing Um I really like Kovacic, which is such a shame to see him go from Real Madrid and then go to Chelsea as if he, he's just trying to test me to make me see just what he has to do to make me dislike him. Another midfield player. So I guess uh, definitely the uh, the area to watch um, and hopefully Kimmich, Thiago, uh, Taliso Goretzka, whoever is in there can, can shut him down. Um, real quick before we wrap up, Sebastian, uh, what is your expected scoreline? Uh, and then also, what do you think would would be not necessarily acceptable, but you know, what do you think the scoreline would need to be for Bayern fans to kind of walk away thinking, okay, we're we're good to go. This was a good result. I guess for most fans, we need a win because yeah, Chelsea is just not uh, the Chelsea it was before. Um, so it's it's not a very top tier kind of club. It's a good club, but not a top tier kind of opponent. So I guess everyone wants Bayern to win. 
to be happy here. Mm. Damn, no, I forgot your other question. <laughs> what was the other? Ah, my scoreline. Now I, uh, I remember. Um, yeah, I really hope uh, we find our balance again between offense and defense. I guess that's going to be very important here. If we do that, um, this can be a very nice one. Uh, I can see us like going 3-0 or something like that. But I guess I would, uh, I would be a bit more more careful here. I think um, a two to one is kind kind of realistic. Two goals for us, one for them. I, I guess I can see that. That's pretty realistic in my opinion. Mm, I would imagine a game where we are quite good on offense, but there are mistakes on defense. And yeah, at some point uh, there's a costly mistake, and they score a goal. But in the end, uh, we get away with a win. Yeah, I kind of share um, the optimist inside of me wants to say 3-0, but you you never really want to give that prediction, and then you know it comes out and Bayern Bayern lose. But uh, I guess I'll stick with it, stick to holding my guns. Three to nothing, Bayern are going to win at Chelsea. I think that we haven't had a um, even with the Tottenham seven two, we haven't had just a outstanding uh, Champions League performance in the knockout stages in a while. Um, and Bayern, you know, traditionally step it up. In, in the in the knockout stages, so I'm really looking forward to one of those. So I'll go ahead and say um, three nothing. And of course, we'll end with our British football expert Tim Richards. What's the uh, what's the prediction? Um, I would love to see Bayern score at least two goals at Stamford Bridge. Um, I could be happy. Well, I wouldn't be happy. Um, I could tolerate Bayern two, Chelsea two. I think uh, Bayern made a, a huge error. I suppose it wasn't really an error. Um, but the biggest problem that Bayern experienced against Liverpool last season was that they didn't get a goal away from home. They have to change that this uh, this time around. And there have been far too many examples of Bayern being given chance after chance after chance and they're just being wasted every single time. They need to be clinical in front of goal because if they are, they will walk away with this uh, with this game and I will be very happy because I work with Chelsea fans <laughs> well I think that's an excellent place for us to uh, wrap up this episode because that is all the time that we have uh, if you've enjoyed listening today or if you're a regular fan of the podcast please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review we would greatly appreciate that um, if you want to get in touch with us you can always follow us on Twitter uh, tweet us at superbyronpod or you can email us at superbyronpod at gmail.com all of our episodes can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're probably going to be there. Thank you for listening. Go out and tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next time.